The witching hour, someone had once whispered to her, was a special moment in the middle of the night when every child and every grown-up was in a deep, deep sleep and all the dark things came out from hiding and had the world to themselves. Mm -hmm. I've just been itching to cast a spell on you. Welcome to The Witching Hour, a podcast that discusses witches in literature, film, television, history, and pop culture. I'm CJ. And I'm Shannon. And we're both sick today, so this will either be a super interesting episode or a super spacey episode. You guys are getting our A game for sure. (laughs) So as promised a couple weeks ago, today we are going to discuss the Pendle Witch Trials. So these occurred in 1612 in Lancashire, England, and they're some of the best recorded witch trials from this period. Um, Depending on which source you look at, there were 12 or 20 people accused for the murders of 10 people by witchcraft, as well as a variety of other fun crimes related to enchantment. And I love that... (laughs) Not to interrupt you, but yeah. I love that there were some other details when we discussed, um, oh my god, what the familiars, where it came up again that these were the most recorded, or best recorded, mm-hmm. um, witch trials in English history. And it's like, already we have either 12 or 20 people, <laughs> and that is quite a variation. <laughs> I would like to blame the potential sources, you know, it's the internet, yeah. who knows. It's true. But they're called the Pendle Witch Trials because, shockingly, they occurred around Pendle Hill in Lancashire, England. And we know so much about them because they were recorded by Thomas Potts, clerk of the court, in his sort of more memoir than recording, The Wonderful Discovery of Witches in the County of Lancaster. I wish that, readers, you could see how this title is spelled, because there are some delightful, like, old, not old, probably not even middle, um, early modern, I don't know. I think some it's variation. I was trying to think of this earlier. Okay, I was like, some other variation of English, but, like, wonderful has two L's, discovery ends in I-E. It somehow just, like, looks very magical, even though I right? it's just an official court document. Yeah, it's like a, well, also he calls it wonderful. It's just like, yeah, <laughs> I, I could just imagine this guy, the judges are like, oh, we would like you to record the witch trials. And it's like this, you know, young little clerk who, like, ha- has nothing to do and wants to make a name for himself and is, like, gleefully writing all of these lascivious details. There's a book series called A Discovery of Witches, isn't there? Yes, Deborah Harkness. Um, it was recently made into, I believe, an Amazon Prime series with Matthew Goodwin and Teresa Palmer, two of my favorite people. I have not read the book, though. I haven't read the books either. I've seen the ads for the show, but I wonder if this is where the author like pulled the name from, or if there are other uh, treatises around the world that include the words discovery of witches in them. I would, I'm going to say like 80%. I feel like there's a really good chance of that. That's very clever. I just feel like she deserves uh, some snaps for that. Yeah, that, that really, I was thinking of that when I saw this title and that really makes me want to read the book now. Because I mean, I've heard mixed things, but some people are like obsessed with it. So 
Yeah. Perhaps someday we will. That'll, that could be one of our next books. Stay tuned. <laughs> Worth a, a shot, I would say. But anyway, I didn't mean to like totally derail us. But again, sick. So <laughs> I feel like I didn't mean to totally derail us. Should really just be the subtitle for this podcast. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> so the Pendle Hill Witch Trials, besides being one of the most recorded, are also notable because there were nine executions at Lancaster and one at York that came out of these trials. And so given that there were fewer than 500 executions total for for witch trials, not like for everything, between the 15th and 18th (laughs) centuries in England, it accounts for over 2% of the total executions. That's upsetting. Yeah, a little bit upsetting. But notable. Yes, but you are correct. (laughs) It is worthy of mentioning in the basics section of this story. So now we're moving on to the background, folks. Like you might suspect, or maybe you don't have any assumptions about this at all, and that was a silly way to (laughs) pivot into this next section. Witch fear was extremely common in Lancashire, and as we discussed in our The The Familiars episode, that was hard, our The Familiars episode, uh, this was because that area of the country was viewed as kind of wild and lawless by the authorities and it was a area fabled for theft violence and sexual laxity (laughs) so you know it was probably a lot of fun to live there actually and people believe that some parts of lancashire had been contaminated with the presence of witches so i will say so one of the reasons that lancashire was thought to be so lawless and full of witches is that it was extremely catholic so if you don't know much about the his like the remote history of Catholicism, because like nowadays it's like, oh, whatever, the Pope Francis, he's kind of a cool guy. Like Catholicism in many areas that were not like Rome has been relatively frowned upon. So fun fact, when John F. Kennedy was made president, remember, we're talking like what, 50s, 60s? Yep. 60s. <laughs> I know history. They actually, he had to swear that he was not going to take orders from the Pope. Yeah. So, like, the anti-Catholic sentiment was going pretty strong. And one of the reasons, of course, is that many of our ancestors came from England, where in the 1500s, Henry VIII decided that he would like to get divorced, so he separated from the Catholic Church, created himself as the head of the new Church of England, and demanded that everyone follow it. If you guys don't know much about Tudor England, you gotta go read or watch, like, literally anything about it, because it's fascinating, and fun fact, was actually a big inspiration for Game of Thrones. Ooh, like, uh, I didn't the know song of this. Yeah, ah! Georgia... George R. R. Martin was, like, super obsessed with uh, the War of the Roses and, like, just uh, all the political infighting and families vying for the throne and kind of ported that over into a fantasy world. But, like, ooh. shit like Game of Thrones happened in real life. And when uh, Henry VIII divorced his first wife, the, the daughter of that wife was pretty pissed about it and she retained her Catholic faith pretty steadfastly and her name was mary and you might have heard of her because she commonly gets referred to as bloody mary (laughs) yeah she she executed a lot of people so like there was kind of there was kind of some whiplash going on in this area to be honest 
I forget exactly. Does she just get sick and die? I don't think she gets executed. Yeah, I want to say remember. that she died of sickness. I mean, a lot of my authority on this comes from the Elizabeth I Royal Diaries book. I'm not going to lie. So it's been a minute. It's probably close enough. (laughs) Elizabeth comes to the throne next. Uh, She is the famous Elizabeth I who makes appearances in films such as Elizabeth the Golden Age and more recently Mary Queen of Scots. And she brings England back to Catholicism or excuse me, back to Protestantism. And with that, it becomes a little bit more of a there being catholic becomes a little bit more dangerous than it was before yeah like if 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 you're getting whiplash that's because like in the space of like 25 years henry like separated from the church of england dissolved the cistercian abbey that used to be in lancashire then queen mary came to the throne restored catholicism started executing protestants and elizabeth came to the throne and was like no we're not doing this catholic shit and then catholics again had to go into hiding and Elizabeth also, okay, so before this, it's worthy of note that people in remote areas like Lancashire continued to practice their Catholic faith because there was no one really around <laughs> to watch them and to tell them they couldn't. Early in her reign, she then passes this law called an act against conjurations, enchantments, and witchcrafts, which is so dope. But <laughs> unfortunately, uh, it demanded the death penalty for accused, accused. Yeah, so now we can see where but the wheels are in motion for where we're heading. In Elizabeth's defense, her act said that the death penalty should be used only in cases where harm was done by witchcraft. So lesser witchcraft crimes could not be punished by death and would instead be punished by imprisonment, which for the time was, you know, relatively progressive, I guess. <laughs> so Elizabeth dies in 1603. Uh, it, Yeah, it's honestly tragic because she was cool. And she's succeeded by, succeeded by James I. He is strongly influenced by Scotland's separation from the Catholic Church during the, the Scottish Reformation, which is like a whole other bag of shit. So, <laughs> so he like, like really does not like Catholics. No, not at all. He he at one point believed he was being plotted against by Scottish witches. And then he goes to Denmark and he witnesses a trial of the North Berwick witches who were convicted of using witchcraft to send a storm against the ship that carried him and his wife back to Scotland. It's only paranoia if they're not actually trying to get you. It's true, but I feel like this might have been a little bit paranoia. Yeah, well, you know. This pisses him off, so when he gets back, he writes this book called Demonology, and it pretty much instructs his followers that they must denounce and prosecute any supporters or practitioners of witchcraft. So the stakes are once again raised higher, and anti-witchcraft sentiment grows, and kind of, I mean, I don't know if this is a fair thing to say, but like also kind of a Catholic anti-Catholic sentiment grows. Well, I I was just going to say, if you're wondering why we started this section talking about Catholicism, it's because, like, there was this connection between not attending the Church of England, which was something that the Catholics did, and which was also, you know, seen as immoral. So there was this idea that the whole region was just ungodly, and that was Mm -hmm. made it a breeding ground for witches. I also think that... And again, this is just me postulating, but Protestantism, like, really shed a lot of the, like, ritual 
things about Catholicism that make it so exciting, like all the incense and the stained glass and the idolry. And those things are pretty witchy. Yeah. So, like, if you catch someone kind of practicing this more ritualistic Christianity, like, when that's frowned upon, you kind of just get thrown in with the actual witches, I guess. Although, not gonna lie, I'm guessing that the Catholics who were having secret masses in rural Lancashire, like, probably had some pretty boring services. I'm get like, I'm gonna guess they did not have a lot of money for idols and incense. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, they, just maybe they Catholic, looked more pagan then. <laughs> that's true. Maybe they did. <laughs> secret masses in the woods. Yeah, they're like, we're just gonna burn this sage. <laughs> I don't even think they have sage in England. I don't know if that's true or not. But Someone fact check, please. Yes. Either way, sentiment in this area was very anti-Catholic, anti-godlessness, anti-witch. And in early 1612, the year of the Pendle trials, every justice of the peace in Lancashire was ordered to compile a list of local recusants, a.k.a. people who refused to attend the English church. So again, trying to root out Catholics and witches. Oh, and look, our old friend Roger Newell, if you were here for the uh, Familiars podcast, real dude, began to root out witches, many of whom were just local men and women who, like, kind of did consider themselves, you know, as practitioners of magic in the sense that they were healers and, you know, people would come to them for small little trinkets and enchantments, which was really common in rural England at the time, except... With James and the growing anti-witch sentiment, it began to be seen as something dangerous. And there was a lot more oversight from the crown than there had been. As we mentioned in the Familiars episode, many people who practiced this type of magic were called cunning folk, and they held their beliefs in tandem with their Christian faith. So they didn't see it as like, oh, we are witches, but we're not Christian. It wasn't one or the other, it was both. But then people like Roger uh, begged to differ. (laughs) And so all of this basically created this perfect storm. And so during this period, Lancashire actually had like unusually frequent witch trials compared even to neighboring counties. So something about it just, you know, created witch fever. I just had the urge to go, witch fever! (laughs) I'm glad you did. I'm sorry, listeners. I watched like the audio just spike or like the (laughs) levels just really spike. It went into red. So I'll try to edit that down. It's beautiful. (laughs) It was something. So there were a ton of people accused as witches, kind of in two camps. So we will just highlight now some of the main players. Again, who you may remember from the familiars because... It was super cool. Stacey Halls actually included almost all real people in her book. So we have Elizabeth Southerns, alias... Okay, I've gone back and forth. It's either Demdike or like Demdica. I don't know if it's more like Germanic or English. Whatever. She was an old woman. Four score years, according to Thomas Potts. I think that this might be like the only time I've ever seen you stumped on a pronunciation. (laughs) I don't have enough information. <laughs> they do just kind of throw it out there and there's no like... Well, yeah, like where did notes? it come from? Why do they call her yeah. this? No clue. <laughs> Either way, she's 80 years old and has apparently been a witch for 50 of those years. 
And Thomas Potts refers to her as a general agent for the devil. So she's sort of our grand high witch here. She brought up her children and grandchildren as witches. And, spoiler alert, wasn't executed, died in prison awaiting trial. It's like, is that better? (laughs) Uh, It's probably slower. Probably slower, and I know that uh, English prisoners for peasants weren't necessarily the most awesome place to be locked up and waste away and waste, but like, I guess at least you're not hanged. Yeah. I don't know. Sucks for her either way. (laughs) And so her daughter was Elizabeth Devis, who is one of the few witches who gets a physical description. So apparently her left eye was lower than her right eye, and they kind of pointed in different directions. So, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, her defining feature was that people thought she was really ugly and disturbing looking, which unfortunately is probably also one of the reasons why suspicion fell upon her, because... We know how back in the day people were super accommodating and reasonable about physical differences. Just like today. <laughs> oh, <laughs> shame. <laughs> then her son James and daughter Allison were also both accused. We'll get to them later. Shannon, tell us about the other witch camp. Okay, so we have Anne Whittle, whose alias was Chaddix. <laughs> Again, no explanation. She also gets a little bit of a physical description in the sense that she is described as old and withered (laughs) and decrepit (laughs) and almost blind. So uh, things are not looking awesome for Anne. She is the other 80-year-old matriarch who is always at odds with Demdike. Mostly she was accused of attacking possessions instead of people, so I guess that's nice Maybe, and by possessions they probably mean like livestock yeah there were a lot of cows mentioned we'll get there and she was famous for her lips always ever chattering and walking so yeah i highlighted that because i wasn't sure if she was if that meant she was talkative or if she was like possibly slightly psychotic and like muttered to herself a lot probably both like you said this time was super accommodating <laughs> especially toward women so it could just mean that she was gossiping a lot like they didn't like that or maybe she actually was like a little bit a little bit psychotic and didn't have access to treatment so Anne Whittle aka Chaddix had a daughter named Anne Redfern which is the best last name we also have Alice Nutter Jane Bullcock, John Bullcock, Jane's son. Got these names. Yeah. That, here's another good nickname coming up for you. Catherine Hewitt, a.k.a. Mold Heels. You tell me. You tell me, fam. I have no idea. <laughs> Isabel Robbie and then Margaret Pearson. So we have, like, a whole slew of people here. And that was the main witches of Pendle Forest. And then we also have witches from an area called Salemsbury? Samlesbury? Yeah, I want to say like Samlesbury or Samlesbury. We won't go over these people in too much detail because they don't really come up again. They just also happened to be tried around the same time. But fun fact, if you've read The Familiars or heard our episode, Alice Gray was listed among them. 
even though she really sort of belonged in the other camp, as we'll talk about later. But yeah, fun fact. So they were basically charged with bewitching another great name, Grace Sowerbutts. <laughs> by her... Okay, <laughs> I can't do it. I read it as Sowerbutts. So, I did the first time, too. And <laughs> so whatever her name is, like, what, Definitely what was wrong Sour with these people? Anyway, she she was apparently licentious and vagrant, so already not super reliable. But she claimed that all of these people drew her by the hair, laid her on a hay mow, which I assume is like a bunch of hay, and took her senses and memory, and then sometimes came to her as black dogs. She said, "Grace Sourbutt sounds like a snitch, <laughs> right? Like such a narc." It's like, oh, yeah, they forced me to join their sisterhood, and sometimes they were met by black things that walked upright but didn't have the faces of men, and then we danced with them. She just sounds jealous. I bet that she wanted to be invited to this so bad, and <laughs> everyone else was like, God, Grace Sourbutts is such a fucking downer. Don't invite her. Yeah, she tried and then she, she tried to up the ante a little. She said that they had slain a child by placing a nail in its navel. Then exhuming the corpse and eating its flesh and making an ointment from its bones. But apparently even the judge and jury were like, this is ridiculous because they pretty much acquitted everyone. (laughs) They were like, um, no. So the acquittal of the four women, that kind of might have been the end of the matter. But there was a meeting organized by Elizabeth Devis at Malkin Tower, the home of the (laughs) Demdikes. So I guess that (laughs) nickname gets up. populated or propagated all the way down through the the family. Uh, this meeting was held on Good Friday on April 10th, 1612, and to feed the party, James Devis stole a neighbor's sheep. So, bad call. Not a good idea, probably. Supposedly, there were 17 witches and three wizards there, and they met because... <laughs> I believe at this point, Demdike had already been arrested, and so supposedly they were plotting to kill the governor of Lancaster Castle and to blow up the building and free the women who had been taken. Oops. And then, of course, they rode off on spirits in the shape of horses. Um, duh. As one does. So yeah, many of the people involved in the trial were at Malkin and were, were basically drawn into this whole thing by virtue of having been there. And in the book, um, they talk about Malkin Tower, and it sounds really weird. Like, it wasn't really an actual tower, right? It was just kind of like this weird round building that was on top of a hill. Like, Yeah, and even now, like, I guess no one's really sure, like, exactly where it is or what it was. Mysterious. But yeah, it was somewhere in the forest, so probably seemed creepy and witch-like. Everything in this area seems creepy and witch-like. Let's get through the individual accusations. Margaret Pearson was accused of murder by witchcraft. Okay, that's straightforward. (laughs) Bewitching a neighbor. Okay, I I guess you could probably prove that. Bewitching a horse. So I want to know what the horse was doing. Like, how does one know if a horse is bewitched? I don't know. She was acquitted of the first two, but then sentenced to the pillory for the last with a paper on her head stating her offense. So... Could be worse. And if I recall, someone later said that she had killed the horse by sitting on it with her spirit animal or familiar or whatever. So I guess that's how they knew it was bewitched because it was dead. Oh, okay. It just died. (laughs) 
shouldn't the accusation then be like murder of horse by witchcraft but you know whatever Anne Whittle aka Chaddix so she was accused of enchanting Robert Nutter and killing him with a bad wish supposedly because he had insulted her daughter which if that's true maybe that's fair uh, she also accused that John Devis had agreed to give her a dole of meal yearly if she would not hurt him, but when he didn't give it to her, he died. So, that's a little suspicious. Correlation. <laughs> she was also accused of bewitching the drink that the drink of John Moore and producing milk from a dish without a churn. <laughs> major, major accusation, guys. This is serious stuff. She actually confessed and then asked for mercy for her daughter. It was not given. Demdike was accused of persuading her daughter, Elizabeth Elizabeth Devis, to sell her soul to the devil. And then Elizabeth, in turn, initiated her own daughter, Allison. Uh, She also gave a voluntary confession. And then another time it was noted that she went to the house of Richard Baldwin to obtain a payment for work her daughter had done. And Baldwin was pretty much like, uh, fuck off. I'm gonna burn or hang you guys as witches. And apparently, Tib came to help them get revenge, but it was not said how. Tib being her familiar, we'll talk about him. So her granddaughter, Allison, hers was interesting. And it's kind of a central starting point that kicks off the plot in the familiars. So she met this guy, John Law, on the road. And I guess he was a peddler, so she asked him for pins, which apparently at the time were, like, kind of expensive because, you know, they were metal, they were hard to make. And they were also apparently used in a lot of spells for healing, divination, and love magic. So either he refused to give them to her or refused to sell them to her. And so she was accused of bewitching him to the point where he lost the use of all his limbs. So probably what happened is that he had a stroke, but apparent, she seemed to like genuinely believe that she had done it either on purpose or by accident because she also ended up confessing and even like went and apologized to his family. This was like a really good plot point in The Familiars because the way that uh, Stacey Halls writes it makes it seem very obvious that this man, John Law, had a stroke for sure. And um, that's probably what happened in real life. Or she bewitched him. Who knows? <laughs> Jury's still out. Actually, it's not. She was convicted. (laughs) Oh, no. Allison Nutter, or excuse me, Alice Nutter, is remembered more kindly in historical texts, specifically the aforementioned A Discovery of Witches. So this is actually a different discovery of witches. Apparently a very popular title. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. Tell us more about this discovery of witches. I honestly don't know much about it, except that James Crossley mentioned her and said that she should really be remembered more kindly because she was wealthy and well-connected like any of the proper good families in the area. Mm. Okay, I see. Cri- That's Pretty classic. sure she still got hanged, though, so, you know. Yeah, it's like, I'm glad to see that the law didn't give a wealthy woman a pass here just because she was wealthy, but it is classic that in history we're supposed to just think of her a little a little more fondly than all the other women who were just like poverty stricken so that's great love that message and so as with you know any good trial there was a key surprise witness who happened to be janet devis the nine-year-old daughter of elizabeth 
who testified not only against her mother, but pretty much like everyone she knew. So she said that her mother had a familiar who was a dog named Ball, that she used the familiar to kill a bunch of people, variously for calling her a strumpet and refusing to give a penny to Demdike. She said that she that her mother taught her prayers to cure the bewitched and procure drink. I guess those were like the two most important things. And her evidence was basically one of the principal reasons why her brother was arrested, although he did later deliver his own confession. We'll talk to him or about him in a minute. But he was described as decrepit with weak intellect and so infirm that he had to be held up during his trial. So, oh. yeah, poor guy. And he was convicted that he had killed a woman using a clay poppet, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he kind of, he describes it in great detail in his confession. But, Ooh. yes, interesting detail. So there was a Janet Devis accused of witchcraft and tried in 1634 in Lancaster. And although it's uncertain whether this is the same Janet, you never know. Man, that would suck to go through this once and then, like, 15 years later or whatever, like, get accused right? again. Right? It's like, oh, this is what it feels like. Oops. I guess that's karma. That really is the definition of that. So, But also, she was nine. Well, yeah. So it's like... like she was probably just, like, telling stories and they were like, yes, we'll give you snacks and not kill you if you talk to us. Blah, blah. So, as with many of the witch trials, several of the witches actually confessed. Although, I will say, compared to Isabel Gowdy's, um, like, very lurid and, you know, magical and interesting confession, like, you can actually read the full text of these online. They're kind of boring. It's just like, and we killed so-and-so, and then we killed so-and-so, and then we killed this other person. But it does give us some interesting insights into... You know, what these people thought that witchcraft was and did. So Demdike was one of the four who confessed. So she gave us kind of an account of how she actually became a witch. She said that 20 years ago, different from the 50, again, some discrepancies here. She was apparently returning from begging and was met by a spirit of the devil in the shape of a boy, his coat half black and half brown. Important detail. I don't know why. <laughs> who said that he would... I was like, why? I don't know. It doesn't say. Apparently it was important. Watch out for people in piebald coats. But yeah, apparently this boy was like, I will give you whatever you want if you give me your soul. And he said his name was Tib. So she was like, okay, I'll give you my soul. I kind of love that name. I don't know why. It's just hilarious. <laughs> it's like, I'm the devil. Call me Tib. It's really kind of great. Like, all these familiars have amazing names. Ball. Dandy. Fancy. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently Demdick didn't use her powers until years later when this spirit that looked like a brown dog came and just kind of jumped on her and began to suck blood from her arm for funsies, I guess. And then vanished, leaving her mad for eight weeks. I would be mad for eight weeks (laughs) if some spirit dog just came and drank my blood. Although, again, possible sign that this woman was like actually mentally ill which was not uncommon in many of these witch trials yeah she also gives us the very important information that the fastest way to kill someone is to make their picture in clay and they keep saying picture but the way they're describing it it sounds like a little doll made of clay basically and then you you know you can either take a thorn or pin and prick it where you want them to fall ill 
or you could burn part of it. Or if you just want to kill him, you can throw it on the fire and burn the whole thing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Take note. <laughs> so yeah. Fun fact, if you want to kill someone, clay pop it. Fastest way to do it. No better way. She also threw fellow witch Chedix under the bus, saying that she had seen her making pictures of clay. Allison Devis said that it was Demdike who persuaded her to let a devil or familiar appear to her and suck her blood. She also said that she saw a black dog who wanted her to give it who wanted her to give it her soul, and then she did, and then it sucked at her and left a mark. So I guess she was not down for the first blood sucking spirit, but then consented at least to the second. She admitted to having seen John Law. The black dog came and offered to lame him, so she told it to go ahead, and I guess that's how how he lost use of his limbs. Um, she said that Demdike was responsible for killing a cow with witchcraft. She'd brought the milk into her grandmother's house, and it turned to butter all by itself, which sounds pretty fucking great, actually. Or, like, like possibly it had curdled. Either or. <laughs> Her grandmother led her into the forest, and then later, Richard Baldwin's first child fell sick and died. I'm not really sure how those two things are related. It seems like these people would be going into the forest frequently. It was somewhat unclear, but apparently she was like, well, we went to the forest by his area, and then his kid died, so... Not looking good for me. Uh, she also told the stories of the deaths of John Devis and Ann Nutter, John Moore's child, Hugh Moore, and unfortunately, another cow. So Chaddix's confession was a little more interesting. So she also gave her origin story and said that 14 years ago, a thing, quote unquote, like a Christian man had convinced her to sell her soul to the devil. And that she acquired a familiar named Fancy. Again, just just great familiar names here. Oh, yeah. But apparently Fancy would basically wreak vengeance on anyone she asked him to. She, she apparently killed Robert Nutter for trying to use her daughter for sex. B- basically, he was, like, propositioning her, but he was married. Like, whoa. And she was like, no, I will kill you instead. This, she sounds like she deserves a fucking award for that. Right? Like, that seems reasonable. Just saying. She also, I like hers especially because she actually provided an entire charm that she apparently used to cure the bewitched drink owned by the wife of John Moore. Except then apparently the wife was not grateful and chided her. So she got pissed and sent Fancy to kill some of the Moore's cows. But the best thing she gives us is the full text of the charm. So I will read it to you in case you would also like to cure any bewitched drink. <clears throat> three three biters hast thou bitten, the heart, ill eye, ill tongue. Three bitter shall be thy bota, father, son, and holy ghost, a god's name. Five paternosters, five aves and a creda, in worship of five wounds of our lord. There you go, folks. Oh, and sorry, I, w- I was wrong. I maligned Robert or Margaret Pearson. It was actually Chaddix. Apparently, bewitching horses was common. She was the one who bewitched the horse. She and her spirit sat upon it until it died. So we still don't oh. know what Margaret did to the horse. <laughs> she just bewitched it in some way. I guess so. 
But again, she also threw her fellow witches under the bus. So she said that Demdike was the one who had seduced her into witchcraft by leading her into a ceremony with the devil where there was dancing and feasting in the woods. Yeah, for whatever reason, these two families, they seem very intertwined, but they also seem to really hate each other. And one thing I read speculated that they were probably competing for selling charms and like other healing practices throughout the community. So rival witch bands Someone here, please it write would that seem, book. is pretty good. So James Devis. He said that on Good Friday, Demdike had told him to take communion from the church and smuggle it out to Malcolm Tower. He hadn't, and his grandmother's familiar threatened to tear him to pieces. If you're not Christian or not familiar with, like, Anglicanism and Catholicism, like, big no-no. The whole the communion is basically, you know, thought to be the body of Christ. So you do not take it out of the church and smuggle it to a witchy gathering. I didn't realize I it makes sense, but like I am not Catholic and have not like spent a lot of time in Catholic churches or at Catholic masses, but I never thought about the fact that it's probably frowned upon to take that wafer out of the church. <laughs> oh my god. Like so like the Prote- I mean the Protestants believe that it's like a symbol of the body of Christ, which would be bad enough. Like the Catholics believe that it's actually tr- transubstantiated into the body of Christ. So like Yes, it would be akin to, like, smuggling Jesus out of the church. Like, you just don't. Yeah, you don't do that. It's frowned upon, I guess. (laughs) It is highly frowned upon. So, James reported that a dog appeared to him and told him to give the devil his soul. But he refused and said his soul belonged to Jesus. So, so far, things are, like, he's telling the right story. Then the dog came back to... Later, to try to get him to make a picture of clay of Mistress Townley, um, he relented and did it. Damn it, James. And it be- I know. So he was holding so strong and then just couldn't. Couldn't anymore, I guess. And that clay poppet began to crumble, or he began to crumble it day by day. So that's, we're getting a little bit into the crueler, definitely, um, suspicious actions here and then mistress townley died he reported strange cries of children and beasts at malkin tower and after he saw he saw that something laid on his chest at midnight for an hour so that really sounds to me like sleep paralysis (laughs) which it it's so weird that it that makes such a common appearance in all these stories. Like, I get it. If you've ever had sleep paralysis before, it is fucking horrifying and you want an explanation for it, but... Well, and not only these stories, but there are, like, fairy tales and folk tales across the world, especially, like, the Celtic regions, the Germanic regions, of various creatures that come in the night to sit on your chest. So apparently people were extremely terrified of suffocating in their sleep. Yeah, I think that's literally like what a nightmare was, like the origin of that word. It was like a horse that would yeah, come in. Yeah, I think you're right. Sit on your... And then I have a friend who is Mexican and she told me a story. I can't remember what the spirit's name was, but there's like some common Mexican folktale where 
like a spirit will sit on your chest in the middle of the night. And like, I was like, no, that's literally the most horrifying thing I've ever heard. See, all over the world, people seem to be afraid of this. Not really sure what's going on. Okay, so James, after he confessed to what he did, he began accusing people other people of what they did. So this is kind of how this goes for everybody. They admit to some shit and then they all point fingers at everybody else. And we just end up with kind of this huge clusterfuck of all these people. So he accused Chaddix of stealing skulls from their graves and keeping the teeth, which I guess if you're going to steal the skulls, at least you have a re- <laughs> She wanted the teeth. They weren't using them. Fair. He accused his mother elizabeth of having a familiar dog named ball so that seems pretty (laughs) innocuous given the other accusations we've seen except for the fact that she apparently used the familiar to kill people but you know well he doesn't even accuse her of that he's just like she had it that's fair (laughs) but he also reported seeing a hare spitting fire in the forest which sounds fucking Dope. It's also my favorite because there's like literally no other explanation. It's just like there was this creature, the bigness of a hare or dog, spitting fire in the forest. Moving on. <laughs> That's it. That's all I had to say about that. And then he also gave a full account of the meeting at Malkin Tower and included a list of all the people present. So if you're wondering like why did all these people confess, um, we've kind of talked about it before, like with Isabel Gowdy, but they're A lot of the thought is that people thought if they confessed and then named other people, they would be given leniency. Although I guess they had not consulted other people who did this because basically most of the time it did not work. Sorry, I got distracted because I was like, what was the name of that fucking night hat (laughs) that sat on? And it turns out it's like it's just they just believe that that feeling Mm -hmm. is caused when just a spirit of a dead person sits on you. Oh, okay. That's good. That's very comforting. I know. I remember being horrified by it when she told me, and now I'm back to being horrified again. So I'm back now. I'm back to the executions. <laughs> Where were we? Well, we were at the executions. So Perfect. 10 of the people accused were found guilty and sentenced to death for bewitching, this time 16 victims. Again, some inconsistencies in the account here. Either way, we know that they were executed on August 20th, 1612, including Chaddix, her daughter Anne. Um, as we know, Demdike died in prison, but her daughter Elizabeth was executed along with her children, James and Allison. Alice Nutter, the wealthy person on whom we should think kindly. <laughs> Jane Bullcock and her son. Catherine Hewitt, Moldheels, again, not sure why. And then Isabel Roby, who I guess wasn't that interesting, because we never hear about her. Eight others were acquitted for what uh, the historians say was really no apparent reason, because the evidence against them didn't seem to be all that different from that of the others. But, I don't know. Maybe they didn't confess, so they didn't have, it wasn't as lurid and exciting. But either way, they escaped unscathed. And if you've finished The Familiars, you'll know that one of those who did manage to avoid execution was none other than Alice Gray, our favorite midwife. And I believe she was the only one of the people at Malkin Tower who escaped, but it's unclear why. So Stacey Halls attempts us to give us attempts to give us that answer. Thanks, Stacey. 
So obviously, you know, we've talked a lot about the familiars, but Pendle has also continued to capture the imagination, kind of, especially in England, but, you know, across the world, much like Salem. So Pendle, of course, has capitalized on this and has a lot of little witchy gift shops and tourist things. They apparently call the bus route the Witch Way, which is very exciting. I love that. And they host a gathering every Halloween, which I feel like should go on my bucket list because that sounds awesome. That does sound really cool. Um, I think we need to do a witching hour field trip. Oh my god, yes. (laughs) TBD. We will report back. So my favorite part is that the Pendle trials didn't end in 1612. So apparently in 1998, the UK Home Secretary Jack Straw presented a petition asking for the witches to be pardoned, but apparently it was decided to let their convictions stand. And I would love why I would love to like see the transcript of that conversation. Like who is just like, no, they were probably convicted fairly. Like (laughs) what? Yeah. And I guess that like this happened because earlier that year, the Swiss government pardoned a woman named Anna Goldie who was beheaded in 1782. And she was thought to be the last person in Europe executed as a witch. So it was like they tried to follow suit with this kind of like progressive Swiss movement. And then I guess fucking failed to absolve the women of these accusations and men. Apparently in 2008, another petition was organized to obtain pardons for Chaddix and Demdike. But I don't know, I have to look into that because as far as I know, it also did not succeed. Well, that's a bummer. But we know the truth. It's what matters. It is. It is all that matters. This also makes its way into a lot of books and literature. William Ainsworth wrote The Lancashire Witches, and it is the only novel of his never to be out of print. So pretty good. And like he was a contemporary of Charles Dickens. So the fact that it's never been out of print is like pretty striking. It's not like it's been, you know, a yeah. decade. Um, the British writer Robert Neal dramatized the events in 1612 in his novel, Mistover Pendle, which was first published in 1951. I kind of loved that name. Right? It sounds very like... Ooh. Yeah. And then the writer and poet Blake Morrison wrote a book of poems called the pendle or excuse me pendle witches published in 1996 and then in 2011 another poet named simon armitage narrated a documentary on bbc4 called the pendle witch child which i'm assuming must be about Janet. you can also find it on youtube i like came across it while i was looking for information so i'll have to check that out the, the next year, in 2012, they celebrated the 400th anniversary of the Pendle Witch Trials. So they had an exhibition. They, you know, they had a concert. There was a clarinet piece, The Fate of Chaddix, introduced. Um, an artist unveiled a statue of Alice Nutter. I guess, I, I'm not sure why her. Maybe because she was the, the pretty wealthy one. But from what I've found, like, there's not that much info on her. So I don't know why. But... Uh, Cool fact, a world record was apparently set at the celebration by 482 people for the largest group dressed as witches. I would love to know, I guess this must be a Guinness thing. I would love to know, like, who records these things. 
like they're the only people I can think of who would, but I'm kind of surprised that I guess that is, 482 is a lot, but I'm surprised that there's not like a Halloween gathering somewhere, like a Walpurgis Noct gathering, Walpurgis Noct <laughs> gathering somewhere like that would trump that. I guess but... it depends on what you mean dressed as witches. Like, are you talking about just witches dresses themselves or like people in witch costume? Wow, wow, wow. We're asking the real questions here. Very important. We also have, um, during the celebration year, the publication of new novellas, The Daylight Gate, as well as Malkin Child, and another poetry volume by Blake Morrison called, our favorite title, A Discovery of Witches. It's a great title. And then I also wanted to point out for the people who did listen to our Familiars episode that there was an exhibition put on called A Wonderful Discovery, Lancashire Witches, 1612 to 2012, at Gawthorpe <gasps> Hall. Oh my god, I totally missed that. Ah. Yeah. I um, Gawthorpe Hall has its own Wikipedia page, and I didn't read any of it, but I did look at the picture, and it's a pretty wild-looking building, so we'll have to post a picture on our Instagram, because... I wish I had looked into it as I was reading the book because it's fucking wild. <laughs> and if you're wondering why we're talking about Gothar Paul, it's because that is where the main character lived. Yes, she did. And obviously in this section discussing pop culture, if you haven't gleaned this already, <laughs> there's a book called The Familiars that... We've only <laughs> mentioned it once or twice. Yeah, that we did an episode on previously that focuses, or it's set against the backdrop of the Pendle Witch Trials, and it is Stacey Hall's debut novel, and we both enjoyed it, so we recommend checking it out for sure. And the really cool part is that pretty much every single named character was actually a real person. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Guess what, guess what is a note at the bottom of the Wikipedia article? What? It says... (laughs) <laughs> Notes. A. The appellation Demdike derives from demon woman, suggesting that she was feared and loathed within the community. So now we just need to figure out, like, is that... I don't know. What would it I'm gonna be? Guess, Gaelic? Probably not. So, like, Dem or, like, Demian, that's more, like, Germanic. And the north of England was pretty heavily colonized by the Vikings and the Saxons. So to this day, it tends to be more linguistically, um, like, Germanic than the rest of England. That's why they have things like kirkyards instead of churchyards. Yeah. So maybe it is, like, Demdica. Oh, wow. Did we just answer the only unanswerable question (laughs) CJ's ever come across before the closing of this episode? Look at us. We thought we were going to bring our C game, but we brought our A game today. I I'm would go so with a solid plus, but I like your enthusiasm. Shh, we're rounding up. I believe in rounding That's up. Fair. So 89 sounds like an A Yay. to me. Wait, what kind of school did you go to where 90 was an A? It's an A minus, but that, that was definitely I'm rounding up a again. B plus. What? What kind of fucking hell school did you go to when a 90 was a B plus? Catholic school. Jesus Christ. It's like 90 to 100 was an A range. No, I, I forget. I want to say 91 off. to 93 was an A minus. I think 90 to 93 was an A minus. I can't fucking remember. 
90 being a B plus is some bullshit though. That's fucked up. It's like you made it to the next. Like, <laughs> you got out of the 80s. You deserve that fucking A minus. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, be sure to leave us a comment and let us know if you think 89 is an A minus or a B plus. Yeah, I would, I would decide decide this for us. Tell us whose school was the weird one. It's honestly a fucking toss up. That's fair. <laughs> okay, so if you liked this and you would like to listen to more of us, which we hope that you do, there are a few places that you can find us on the interwebs. We are on Tumblr at witchinghourpodcast.tumblr.com. We are on Instagram at the Witching Hour Podcast. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash it's the witching hour. You can shoot us an email at it's the witching hour at gmail.com. Our website is it's the witching hour.com. And we are on Twitter at witching hour pod. So that's witching H R P O D. And we would love, love, love if you would rate and review us on iTunes. It helps more people who also like witchy content find us, and we would really appreciate it. But I guess only do it if you want to give us five stars because both of us have very weak hearts when it comes to criticism. True. So don't, don't be mean, please. <laughs> please email us privately if you think we are only four stars or three stars and never ever <laughs> tell us if you think we're less than that because my heart can't handle it <laughs> seems reasonable but anyway i think this comes out on may 4th or may 5th i need to check my calendar but we are recording it on may 1st so just know that on may 1st i am wishing all you dear listeners a happy beltane and if you did celebrate valpurgis Noct last night i hope you had a great time and lit a lot of bonfires and yeah i hope everybody has a great may day or had at this point <laughs> a great may day so thanks for sticking around and talking to us about witch trials i'm not sure what we're gonna do next time so it will be a surprise but if you're interested in the meantime in things like the greek fates or the witches the movie or hocus pocus check out our backlist yeah we are accruing a little bit of a backlist which is kind of awesome really exciting Look at us. Look at us go. I'm so proud. All right. Goodbye, friends. Happy. Thanks for listening. Happy Equinox. Bye, witches.